there, listeners. You found the Saving Delaware History podcast with me, Madeline Messer, as your host. This week, we're investigating Delaware history by learning about the first permanent settlement in Delaware and in the greater Delaware Valley, named Fort Christina after the then Swedish Queen and the namesake, namesake for the Christina River. This settlement was the first in North America to feature the iconic log cabin. All the rest of its history, I'll let you discover in this interview with Samuel He, a senior historian with the Camar Nickel Foundation. So who established Fort Christina? Yeah, and the name is important. So it was named for Queen Christina, the Swedish queen who was 12 years old, uh, sovereign at the time. Um, and so they named it for her. And it was the Swedes under Peter Minwe. He was the governor or the, what was called the commander of the expedition in 1638. It was a trading fort established to begin a fur trading with the Native Americans, the Lenape and the Susquehanna tribes um, between the Delaware and the Susquehanna River Valleys. It's an interesting story. Peter Minwe is the commander. He's the one that chooses the location. And that's an interesting story in that he knew the location existed and he chose it when he was back in Europe planning the expedition and discussing the various options with the Swedish crown and, and the counselors. Um, so here you have the rare case of he had on the ground local knowledge and he had strategic knowledge of why this location might be the ideal place to launch a new colony for the Swedes, a commercial trading colony um, looking at fur trade, um, one that would compete with the Dutch and the English colonies that were already established in the area. So Minwe was stealing a march primarily on the Dutch, but a little on the English as well. So to understand that prior knowledge, you have to know that Minwe had been on the site before. To do that, you need to know that he had been the former governor, what was called the director of the, the Dutch colony of New Netherland. And so here you have the crazy case of the Swedish governor and commander had been the former governor of a rival colony. Now, once you see it in that way, it's maybe not all that unexpected. It's insider trading. If you're going to hire someone, you want to hire somebody with the most knowledge and expertise you can, and they might come from a rival competitor. And that's what these colonial institutions, the Dutch West India Company and the Swedish New Sweden Company, were really multinational conglomerates that were quasi-sovereign. And it's really the modern world, very much like multinational organizations today. And so it turned out that Minwe had probably more knowledge of the mid-Atlantic region than any other European, certainly in Europe, um, he had been fired by the Dutch West India Company in 1632. Uh, he had been the governor of the colony from 1626 to 32. And he, of course, is the famous guy who decides to acquire Manhattan from the natives and purchase it for what was, you know, supposed to be about 24 a guilders worth of uh, trade goods. So Minwe had a really good eye for land, and he made Manhattan and uh, the southern tip of Manhattan, that's the focal point, the capital of the New Netherland colony. He gets into a dispute, this isn't all that unusual, with the board of directors back home in Holland. 
there's a factions. There are two factions on the board. The primary faction looks at the Dust West India Company as a short-term um, profit-making enterprise, and they want to squeeze out as much money as they can rapidly. There's a smaller faction that has a broader, longer-range commercial view that wants to establish a colony and isn't looking for short-term profits, but is looking to expand uh, opportunities and looking for longer-term profits. Minwe favored the, the colonists and the commercial side that had a longer view. And so he got squeezed out as um, not being in favor with the group that was really looking for short-term profits. Very familiar experience. Um, so um, he gets fired. He gets called back to Amsterdam and he's fired and they bring in a new governor. So he's kicking around in Amsterdam without not too much to do. Um, and, you know, from 1632 to about 1635, 36. And a major investor in the Dutch West India Company, a man named Samuel Blomert, it has investments all over Europe and many significant investments in Sweden. Sweden had rich iron, ore, and copper, and timber, but they didn't have capital investment. Um, they were a poor country. And one of the things they were doing was encouraging Dutch investors to come and help develop industry. Blomert was one of these investors. So he's sitting on the board of directors of the Dutch West India Company, but he's part of the faction that favored Minwe, and he's kind of disaffected with the direction that the company's going. But rather than then uh, resign, he stays on the company and decides at the same time, he'll start working with the Swedes to develop an alternative colony under Swedish sovereignty and under the Swedish flag. Now, this probably isn't that unusual either, right? Um, if you look at the way mergers and acquisitions are done today, or multiple investments at the same time, um, it's, you know, it's an early modern story. Um, so, Blomert is... Uh, talking to the, the counselors and the, the chancellor of, of Sweden. The queen is very young. And um, there he's in interest, he's getting them interested in another colony, a colony for the Swedes. Um, he happens to know that there's this guy, Peter Minwe, who had done a great job with the Dutch West India Company, who had recently been fired, and he doesn't have a lot to do, it doesn't look like, and he might be the kind of partner we want who will be the on-the-ground governor who can develop a new colony to rival the Dutch. So we have that background. That's how Minwe knows that this location on what would become the Delaware River is the ideal location to steal a march on the Dutch. He also had been here before he was made governor. He was a volunteer scout for the Dutch West India Company in 1624-25. And um, one of his jobs was to sail all about the Hudson and what was called, which was called the North River and the Delaware, which was called the South River, scout it all out and see what's available. Minerals, flora, fauna, Indians, locals. What are the opportunities that present themselves? And so he had been on site in the South River in the Delaware and had been on what we call the Christina today and knew that the rocks existed. So when he's back in 
Amsterdam negotiating with the Swedes about what kind of colony we ought to do, what would be profitable, and where should we go. And all of America, or all of the world, where are we going to start this new colony? They happen to pick the rocks in what becomes Wilmington, Delaware. Well, that's not a coincidence. Men, we chose it. It's rare. It's uncommon in the American colonial experience. Mostly, these colonies are very ad hoc and blundering around and and finding a spot, whether it's the Pilgrims or Jamestown or any of the others. But in our case, the Swedish case, Minwi, with this prior knowledge, chose the rocks as the ideal location. Then he comes over and builds the fort and founds the colony. He had five good reasons, strategic reasons and tactical reasons, why this location was ideal. It was the rock formation that sort of made it ideal the audience might appreciate that this is a guy who has an eye for land. He had been a diamond merchant and maybe he had an eye for rocks and minerals, but uh, he's the guy that chose Manhattan as the ideal location. And we know how important Manhattan turned out to be. Uh, He also recognized that Wilmington had a advantageous location with the Piedmont river, what became the Brandywine flowing down and a navigable river, what became the Christina that links pretty quickly into the Delaware and from the Delaware, you're out into the Atlantic. All right, all that's by way of background. So he has five good reasons. There's this granite outcropping of rock in the Christina River, which is a deep tidal navigable river that you can get a big ship like the Kelmer Nickel into. So it's a a narrow river, but it's deep. And then we knew it was deep and he knew there was this rock formation that stuck out from the muddy, swampy banks of the Christina. It's the only place in the entire Christina network where Piedmont rocks stick out into the navigable channel. And so it would make a very convenient uh, landfall and hard land. You could tie the ship right up to the rocks like a wharf, which they continued to do up until the park was built in 1938. So they continued to use the rocks as a wharf, right? It's a natural wharf. It wasn't man-made uh, and they built man-made wharfs all over, but they continue to use the rocks that way. So that was the reason he chose the rocks and not a hundred yards upstream or downstream. He had four other reasons. It was off the Delaware river, the main channel of the Delaware by a couple of miles. And that was important to him. It was hidden. This was a secret enterprise in which he's starting a rival colony that's going to compete with the Dutch. And so he wants to keep it out of the way and hidden for at least a year or two or three until he can bring more colonists over and establish a footprint, enough of a colony, that it would be very hard to wipe it out or dislodge it. So that's why it's not on the Delaware. That's why it's off the Delaware, hidden away. It's on a major thoroughfare, uh, water thoroughfare that is navigable that goes straight west out into and links very quickly into the Susquehanna River Valley. Minwe, through his former governorship, knew that these trading relationships were, with the Lenape and the Susquehannock were critical if you were going to gather furs efficiently and, uh, you know, cost effectively. And that that was the Lenape's preferred trading route into the Susquehanna was along this river that they called, ended up calling the Christina. There were land routes, but, you know, um, it's easier to go by boat if you can than pack it on your back and carry it as a 
backpack. So men, we knew this river connection that would take you pretty quickly with a short portage into the Susquehanna River Valley, looking for rich beaver uh, pelts. The other reason um, is that he knows it's on a peninsula, it's hard land, and there are marshy borders right around it. He has the Brandywine to his back, which is a fast-flowing Piedmont River and, you know, drink some drinking water. And that if you build a fort here, it could be defensible. And uh, so, you know, in that period, they're always looking to be able to defend themselves, probably mostly from other Europeans and not so much from the native Lenape, who they expected and did have positive um, relationships with for their commercial enterprise. The, uh, the last reason, I think I've done four, right? Yes. So it's the rocks, the defensible land, the thoroughfare heading out and that it was off to Delaware by a couple miles hidden away. The last one is maybe the most interesting and that Minwi knew he had been the governor, the former governor of Dutch New Netherland. He knew that the Dutch had not gotten around to signing treaties and land deals, purchase treaties with the native Lenape on the Western bank of the Delaware. And under Dutch interpretation of international law, which the Dutch were at the forefront of promulgating and, and developing, that land claims were only legitimate in areas like North America if you occupied the land and if you had signed legitimate purchase treaties with the locals. So they were developing a new concept, right? Sort of equity and justice. Uh, the English and others had always taken sort of a conquest, right? I'm first, I plant my flag in Newfoundland, and I declare I own all of North America or the Western Hemisphere. That was sort of the classic case. Now, ultimately, it turns out to be a might makes right, and who can actually, you know, enforce their claim and defend it. That's a long story that continues today. But Minwe knew that the Dutch interpretation left them in a very weak position because here they are claiming that the only way you can have a legitimate uh, possession of this colony that would be superior to English claims, and the English are to the north and to the south, is if you actually conducted these um, purchase treaties with the local tribes. They just hadn't gotten around to it down here because the South River wasn't as important as the Hudson. So Minwe knew this, and he knew that he could take advantage of that. So the first thing he does when he arrives is sign these purchase treaties with the local tribes to give him a legitimate claim to the South River and especially the West Bank. So all that, and that's why he's there. Now, the fort itself, you probably have a couple of questions. So about the fort, how was it used in the time that it was active? Yeah, so it's a trading fort. It's basically a, you know, it's got two log cabins, first log cabins in Western Hemisphere in um, North America. And uh, you can check your National Park Service records and the HCA will back me up on this. So the first documented log cabins in American history were built inside Fort Christina. There were two of them. One was a barracks for the soldiers and the other was a, a warehouse, a storehouse for the trade goods, which were valuable and needed to be kept out of the weather, and the fur pelts that they would be exchanging for the trade goods. 
Um, and so it was a trading post, right? And a fur trading post, which runs right across the frontier and the story of Canada and America, <clears throat> the fur traders and trappers. Um, and this is, you know, an early example of it. So that was its primary purpose. They left 24 soldiers behind on the first voyage and they had built the fort. So Minwe and the ship arrive with the Fogel grip um, in early March of 1638. First thing they do is call the local natives and um, get them, negotiate with them to get permission to occupy the land and build this fort. In their mind's eye, they're getting title to the land. In the Lenape mind's eye, they're sort of leasing a shared arrangement. Then they proceed to build the fort. But that's kind of important that they actually, you know, negotiated the permission, the, the title purchase, before they actually started building. Most other colonies, they start building first and asking <laughs> permission later. So then they build the fort, and the fort is built by June 5th, so it goes up pretty rapidly. It's a uh, trace Italian, you know, sort of a, a late Renaissance, early modern fort. It was developed for warfare in, in the European heartland. It's a star fort with four bastions for cannons and, you know, a safe place to rally and to store your equipment and to live. So they, they left 24 soldiers to start this colony. Minwe then heads right back, leaving June 5th. He's going back to Sweden to pick up colonists, families, right? So you build the fort and you leave the soldiers to defend the fort. And then you go back and you start bringing colonists on the second voyage, third voyage, and you start populating the colony. That, that was the idea. Now, Minwe gets killed in a hurricane on the way home, which is sort of a side trip. He's down in the Caribbean because he needs to maximize the profit for this trading expedition. And he knows that tobacco is just gotten into Sweden and you, there's a high return on tobacco and he might be able to trade for tobacco down in the tobacco island of St. Kitts in the Caribbean. So he's down there doing that when a hurricane pops up and he and his captain, Vanderwater, are on a neighboring ship. They meet a uh, friend captain from um, the Flying Deer, which is in the harbor, and they go over to have wine and dine with their neighboring ship captain. When the hurricane pops up, there's no advanced weather forecasting. Hurricanes pop up pretty quickly, and they're on this Flying Deer, which gets washed out and is sunk in the hurricane. So Minwe and the captain are never seen again, but the Kalmar Nickel survives without Minwe, and it does make it back to Sweden eventually. And then the Swedish colony begin, you know, continues to send expeditions, 12 in total over the years, and the uh, last until 1655 when the Dutch seize it and claim it for the Dutch. So from 1638 to 1655, the Dutch and the Swedes in the Delaware Valley have an uneasy relationship. Neither is strong enough to displace the other. Both are more worried about the English, who appear to be stronger, both to the north and to the south. So it's sort of a peaceful coexistence. The Dutch never recognize the Swedish claim, but they sort of learn to live with it. 
But when they can, they would like to dislodge them. And so eventually they're able to, under um, Director General uh, Peter Stuyvesant, who is the governor of New Netherland at that time, is able to seize the, a number of forts and settlements, including the final settlement, which is Fort Christina, in 1655. And so the Dutch seize the territory. The Swedes are given a choice who are there, and they're Swedes and Finns. They're given a choice as part of the Articles of Capitulation. They can either leave and go home, or they can stay. As long as they swear allegiance to the Dutch Republic, the, the, the Dutch are happy to have them stay because there aren't enough settlers on the ground in which to populate a thriving colony. Um, so many of them stay. Now, a few, many, some of the officials go home and others go home. Others also begin to head into the interior, into places like Maryland, and start to trek westward. What didn't I cover? Don't know if you want to mention Fort Casimir. It's something we've talked about earlier in the podcast and kind of between the okay. Dutch-Swedish relations. Yes, I will do that. Before I do that, let me mention one thing that I should emphasize is Fort Christina turns out to become the first permanent European settlement in the entire Delaware Valley. So it's an enormous estuary that goes all the way up to Falls of Trenton, down to Cape Henlopen, down to Cape May on the Jersey side, and includes, you know, our, our beloved Delaware Valley, including, you know, what becomes Philadelphia is Swedish before it's Dutch, before it's English. So when Penn lands... <clears throat> He's negotiating with the local Lenape, but he's also negotiating with the Swedish landowners for territory. Um, Fort Casimir is interesting. This is part of that uneasy coexistence where um, Governor Prince, Swedish governors, begin to fortify the Delaware River to try to preclude the Dutch or anyone else from, you know, inroads, making inroads or trading in ways that they don't approve of. And so they begin to fortify the Delaware River and stop traffic that isn't sanctioned. Um, it's sort of like a passport control almost. Um, you can't just let anybody in, right? Um, the Dutch, of course, never um, honor the, at least technically, they live with it, but they don't recognize the Swedish claim. Um, and once they gain enough strength under Governor uh, Stuyvesant, they decide to build a fort south of Fort Christina, which becomes this Fort Casimir. Um, that fort is seized by the Swedes in turn, right? There's this back and forth. It's a very fluid situation. And that triggers Stuyvesant to come down and finally get enough manpower and a big enough fleet to come down and basically take over the entire South River and uh, force all the forts in the, the Swedish forts to capitulate one after another. So Fort Casimir is seized back by the Dutch in 1655. And then that army goes and besieges Fort Christina and it capitulates. And that's the last stronghold in the Delaware. Fort Casimir is built by the Dutch, basically stealing a march from Fort Christina. So it's south of Fort Christina. The Swedes don't like it, and they seize it from the Dutch, who can't defend it well enough. 
and then the Dutch seize it back. And so there's this back and forth sort of a, a challenging situation for who's going, a struggle for sovereignty and control and power. I see that. I think the ultimate kind of question then is how did Fort Christina and Wilmington get out of Swedish hands and into English hands? So it's it's a step uh, process. So the Dutch seize New Sweden from the Swedes, right, and take their claim, and the and the Swedes relinquish their claim, capitulate to the Dutch. The English, in turn, by 1664, and these are global wars, which include the North American seaboard. Uh, that first Anglo-Dutch war that I mentioned, and then there are two more. There's a second and a third. So the Dutch and the English are at war in Europe and in other colonial areas around the world, including the North American seaboard. And the English seize um, North America from the Dutch and keep it in 1664. So after that, what was Swedish in the Delaware Valley and then Dutch becomes English. And then a Penn gets a land grant to start a new colony called Penn's Land, <laughs> Pennsylvania, uh, which includes the lower three counties of Delaware. Yeah, I mean, it's the first permanent European settlement in the Delaware Valley and on land that becomes Delaware. So Lewis is usually called the first place of the first state, but we might lay claim to being the first permanent place in the first state. <laughs> How's that for but a I'm tourist slogan? We're good. Thank you so much. Thank you. I'm